Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be talking on the eve of college basketball getting you set for all the hoops. It is our official college basketball preview episode. If I don't know any better, I believe this is episode number 83 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast that we know of that focuses exclusively on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am your host, Blake Cripps. I am joined once again by my co-host, Thomas Castor IV, who has to be on cloud nine doing the tomahawk chop. Your Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions. I will cede my time to you. Talk about the baseball season. Obviously, our team that we both care about. I guess we both kind of care about the wind surge as well. Uh, Not a good year for the Royals, but obviously, first time since 1995 that the Atlanta Braves have hoisted whatever the name of the trophy is with all the flags on it. Um, How excited are you? Did you always have the confidence that it would happen? Uh, What are your thoughts as a Braves fan? Yeah, no, I didn't always have the confidence. Um, (laughs) And I believe my confidence... They started pretty bad, didn't they? They did. I mean, they played at 500 for, you know, quite a while. And, you know, I think it was on July 10th. It was a Sunday afternoon. They were playing against Miami, uh, and I was watching that game. And Ronald Acuna Jr., their young superstar phenom, who was in the hunt for the MVP early on in the season, tore his ACL, came down awkwardly on a catch in right field, tore his ACL out for the season. And at that point, I thought, you know, pack it in, boys. You know, it's not it's not your year. Um uh, but they they basically remade that outfield at the trade deadline, uh, picking up guys like Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, and former Kansas City Royal Jorge Soler. And you know what? I mean, can we just talk for a second about we we know we talked about it on the show earlier in the season about how absolutely terrible Jorge Soler was with the Royals this year. (sighs) Something happened. Something sparked in him when he got traded to Atlanta and he was an absolute monster and he was the World Series MVP. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, Pitching was really solid for uh, the the Braves throughout the the stretch run. They were the best team in baseball over the last month or two of the season and the hottest team in the postseason for sure. Uh, I felt really good about their chances once they beat the Dodgers. Uh, You know, the Dodgers are kind of that super team and the National League, uh, but they took him down in the NLCS, and then of course, uh, four games to two against the Astros. And you know, I'd be more than happy to talk about my uh, my feelings towards Atlanta um, and my my feelings towards the Braves. But um, yeah, to answer your question, absolutely on cloud nine. Okay, can I just point something out here really quick sure. before we tell you about all the ways that you can like, share, and subscribe? This isn't a Braves podcast. Jorge Soler. Hit more homers with the freaking Braves in 55 games than he did with the Royals. Yeah. He batted about 70 points higher. He had five fewer total bases in, what was it, like 39 less games? Yeah. Four less RBIs. What the freaking hell happened? And why was he <clears throat> such a mess in Kansas City? It. I, I feel good for him. You know, he had some really good years for Kansas City, had a fantastic 2019 year. I, I get that. I'm not saying that he tanked his way out of Kansas City, but that is 
flipping infuriating to watch because I said before the year started, if Dozier and Solaire don't hit at least 200, the Royals are going nowhere this year. Yeah. Neither of them were worth a bleep. And then he goes down to Atlanta, and I, I, I don't know what happened. But that, that has to be, as a Royals fan, the most infuriating thing I may have ever seen. Yeah, but you know what? At the same time, like for somebody who cheers for both the Royals and the Braves, you, you want to see the guy do well um, wherever he is. Yeah, but I don't and, cheer for the Braves. You know, well, I do. And, you know, so I, obviously he was, uh, you know, he had like, 300 in the yeah, postseason. You know, I mean, he was in the, yeah. I mean, in the World Series, he had a, he had an awful, absolutely. And you, you could not, you could not predict this because he was terrible in the division series. Yeah. He was God awful, almost unplayable. He was like one for 11 or something. Well, he also then, was oh, off for a couple of games. I, he, I believe he had COVID was, you know, diagnosed positive with COVID-19 sure. uh, was off. And then didn't of really games. play against the Dodgers. Yeah. And then somehow, you know, credit to the Braves coaching staff because they said, you know, we're going with this guy yeah. and in the world series. Yeah, he was three home runs, six RBIs and six games. He was he was unbelievable yeah. in the World you Series. You know, fr- from an emotional level, again, uh, our listeners are like, hey, we're tuning in to hear about Wichita <laughs> area sports. It's, <laughs> yes. it's not a Braves podcast, but yeah, I do have to say, you know, I, I've been a Braves fan since I was a little boy. Um, you know, they used to be on every night on TBS, and I, I would always watch it with my dad. Um, I had all the Braves gear growing up, and, um, you know, the other thing, too, a lot of people ask me, like, why didn't you cheer for the Royals? you got to remember, the Royals were really, really bad, with, you know, in in the 90s and early 2000s and the Braves were really 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 good and so and they with, were on the Superstation right, exactly. they, they had coverage every everywhere night. yeah so I became a big Braves fan and and you know again they, they hadn't won since 95 I was nine years old when they won for the last time and it was cool to be able to you know follow them I, I don't think a lot of people picked them really you know to go this far and, and they did and uh, you know so I'm happy for the franchise I'm happy for guys like Freddie Freeman you know who was there when the, the team was really really bad and um, yeah just really excited for them for sure. So the uh, Royals' loss was the Braves' gain. Absolutely. And, uh, so congratulations to you and the Atlanta Braves, Thanks. the World Series champions. And uh, obviously for everybody who was hitting on the Astros, that was exactly what they wanted to see yeah. as the Astros fall short. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll get back to uh, our job. Although I would say if they're tuning in for this podcast, they're tuning in for us as well, not go. just for Wichita Sports. But uh, if you want Wichita Sports, you can follow us at cogsports.com, kogsports.com, facebook.com slash games at cogpod on Twitter. Cogpod.podomatic.com. Again, the best place to get the podcast every week. We post videos on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, also on Facebook. And the audio is almost everywhere. iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google, Apple, so many more. Find your favorite platform. Like, share, and subscribe. And uh, watch an older episode, too, if you don't mind. It really helps us out. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show today, we are going to have just a moment about football. KU, Kansas State, both in action. Chiefs back on track. But are they really? But we're going to begin today with the Wichita State Shockers as the first story in our college basketball preview. Big 12 fans, you're coming up next. The Shockers coming off a 16-6 season, 11-2 in the American Athletic Conference. They were the American champions last year under first-year interim head coach Isaac Brown, who is now entering his second year in charge in the Air Capital and is no longer saddled with the interim tag. Gone are Altery Gilbert, Trey Wade, and Isaiah Porbear Chandler. Altery Gilbert, the best scorer out of that group, averaging 10 points per game last year. But the Shockers get back a hell of a lot from last year's team. Tyson Etienne, the AAC 
Player of the Year, the AAC Preseason Player of the Year, who averaged 16 points per game last year, Morris Udeze and Dexter Dennis, who each averaged 10 points per game, and Dexter Dennis was one of the best defenders in the American Conference last year, Ricky Council IV, averaging 7 points per game, Clarence Jackson, Craig Porter Jr., among others, and then plenty of new people on the team who could make a really valuable contribution this year. Locally, you've got Steele Chapman, Quay Grant, a Division II transfer in, Joe Pleasant, also new addition to this team. What a season they had a year ago, Tommy. All of the experience coming back. One has to believe that expectations have to be high for this team. Unless, of course, you're an American Athletic Conference coach who apparently inexplicably don't think the Shocker is going to be all that good because they picked him fourth, which I, I cannot understand how that happened. Uh, your thoughts on what the Shockers achieved last year and what you're expecting from them this year? Well, you know, I think that if you look at what, you know, the way that they were picked last season in the American, this is kind of a trend, right? Uh, you know, they're not picked particularly high. Um, I think a lot of Shocker fans would think that they were, um, you know, maybe uh, underrated uh, quite a bit, both last season and this season in the preseason rankings for the American Conference. But we saw what they did last year. Um, you know, and, and if you want to go back to the selection committee a year ago and, you know, did the Shockers uh, deserve better in the NCAA tournament? I think you could probably say, yeah, you know, I think they probably deserved, you know, a little bit better of a draw uh, when it came to that. But, you know, this season, I think it's important that uh, the team leans on experience. You know, we've seen what this Shocker team can do with Tyson Etienne when Tyson Etienne is playing the kind of caliber of basketball that he he should be playing night in and night out. We've also seen what Shocker basketball can be when Tyson Etienne is not particularly on. And so, I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's that big of a stretch to say that this Shocker team goes where Tyson Etienne goes. Um, I, I really think that he's kind of the unheralded or maybe the heralded leader, uh, depending on who you are, for the Shocker squad. Now, if you go back to their exhibition game that the Shockers had earlier this week, it was it was Ricky Council as far as scoring the basketball. 15 points for him as the Shockers rolled in that exhibition win. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's going to be important that not only do we have the guys like Etienne and Dennis and Udezi who've been there before, they know what's going on, but it's important for those new the, the guys that were newcomers one season ago to take that next step forward, like a Ricky Council the fourth. Uh, you and I and, and Weston last season, we talked about Ricky Council quite a bit. We talked about the upside, the potential that a guy like he, that a guy like he has for Wichita State. Uh, it's going to be important for that potential to be realized in his sophomore season with the Shockers. I mean, you, you stole the next point that I had right off of my sheet. I thought last year that Ricky Council has the potential to be maybe an all-conference player sure. for Wichita State eventually. I think that this year he will be the most important player for Wichita State that needs to have a step forward and have a big year for Wichita State to take the next step from being not just a team that competes and wins the American Athletic Conference, but a team that's going to get a guaranteed berth into the NCAA tournament, a top 25 caliber team. Shockers, as you mentioned, played in that exhibition over Missouri Southern. They handily beat the Lions 90-58, to as you would expect. Pretty comfortable, not really anything, any bumps or bruises for Wichita State in that game. They pretty much controlled the Division II team like you would think that they would. Ricky Council led the way with 15 points in 20 minutes, even though he came off the bench. 
and Wichita State wasn't great from the three-point line. They were 9 for 27. Quay Grant came in playing off of D2 competition, was 5 for 7 from the field against Moso. I thought it was also great to see the balance of options that Wichita State had with eight players scoring at least seven points. So maybe this Shocker team, if Etienne does have a night off, not that they're going to be able to do that against the upper echelon teams in the American, at least consistently. Maybe they can get away with it at home, probably not on the road. But it was great to see the Shockers have so many different players able to step up so that maybe if there is a game where Etienne is a little bit off, maybe there will be more options to help pick up the slack. And and I think that Ricky Council is definitely a guy that can be one of them. Yeah, there's clearly depth with this team, but then there's also balance, which I like a lot. It's not an overwhelmingly senior heavy team, but at the same time, it's not like it's overwhelmingly uh, newcomer heavy either. No. Uh, you've, you've got a pretty good balance. I know, obviously, you know, they, they lost some key contributors, um, you know, in Trey Wade and Alter Eat Gilbert. Uh, but they've replaced, you know, Isaac Brown went out and his staff went out and replaced those guys with some really talented newcomers like Quay Grant and, coming in from West Texas. And some of the newcomers do have playing sure. experience, yeah. too. You know, West Texas A&M was where Quay Grant came from. Uh, he was tremendous there. Um, you know, I They're think a good D2 yeah, program. And I think he's a guy that can get some minutes for Wichita State. Joe Pleasant transferred in from Abilene Christian. We talked about him uh, a few months ago when that announcement was made that he was coming over uh, to the Shocker program. Kenny Poto is a a new transfer in for the Shockers. Um, I believe he scored like 11 points off the bench in that exhibition game the other night against Missouri Southern. Uh, And not only that, and I know this is kind of meaningless to the actual regular season, but Kenny Poto won the Shockers uh, three-point contest that they held uh, in the the opening uh, celebration for the Shocker program this season. Um, so Shocker Madness, Shocker right? Madness. So, you know, obviously the, the kid can shoot. And so, you know, uh, what I like about what Isaac Brown and his staff did was they they knew that they were going to be losing some pieces. They went out and they found not only some incoming freshmen, but also some transfers to sort of help bridge that gap a little bit to be able to play alongside guys like uh, Tyson Etienne and Dexter Dennis and Morris Udeze, the guys that we know can contribute, again, night in and night out. Uh, it, it provides depth and it also provides balance. The other thing, too, I, that I just kind of thought of, with more guys out there, I think it's really going to take some of the pressure off of Dexter Dennis because he was so he got so worn out last year because he's always guarding the best offensive player on the other team. I don't think that there's any reason to believe that that's not going to continue. I think that if, if it wasn't such a necessity for him to play defense and to guard the other team's best player. If he wasn't just so far and away the best defender that Wichita State has, and, you know, we haven't seen really seen the team. I mean, you know, I didn't watch the Missouri Southern, you know, game. You can't really glean anything from that. And, and I think Missouri Southern, by the way, and they're going to be playing the Jets of Newman and MIAA competition, I think that they will be a pretty good MIAA team, but they're not on the level of Wichita State. But with having other options, that might take some of the load off of Dexter Dennis. His offensive numbers might go down and he personally might have a better year. Yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, it's it's pretty clear that Dexter Dennis um, you know, Isaac Brown leans on him quite a bit defensively. He sets the tone. Yeah. He sets the tone for what the Shockers are going to do, especially on the defensive side of the basketball. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, I think occasionally uh, during Dexter Dennis's tenure in Wichita, I, at least I've noticed this, I don't know if you have, where you've got a couple of these guys that 
I don't know if their mentality is, well, Dexter's got the defense, so we don't really need to really worry about that. When it obviously that's not the case. He can't guard five guys, you know, at one no. time. Um, so I, I, I think that in the past we've seen a couple of these guys go complacent somewhat on the defensive side of the ball because Dexter Dennis sort of controls the defensive energy. So it's going to be important that you've got, you know, that that responsibility shared, you know, amongst, you know, several different people who are on the court at the same time. Uh, what I like about who the Shockers have is you, you've obviously, we talked about the depth, we talked about the balance, we talked about the experience, but the ability to stretch the floor, I think is something that the Shockers are going to be able to do probably better than just about any team in the American Conference, save for maybe Houston or so, uh, maybe sure. maybe Memphis as far as stretching the floor, but they've got some guys that are 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". Clarence Jackson is one that I think of. Joe Pleasant, who's the transfer that will get some playing time. You know, they're that height, but they're also athletic and they can move and they can get up and down the court quite a bit. So, you know, that they're built kind of like a power forward, but they can absolutely stretch the floor. We talked about Kenny Poto when he's, you know, in there. The guy stands at 6'11", but he's athletic. He's not a 6'11 guy that's not going to have much of a motor and get up and down. So I like the ability that the Shockers have to stretch the floor. I don't know if we're going to see a really high paced brand of basketball from Isaac Brown, but if that's the brand of basketball he wants to play, I think he's got the guys who can definitely do it, both offensively and defensively. We'll wrap up our look at the Shockers with this, Tommy. What are your expectations for WSU for the year? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Isaac Brown and his staff, they they pretty much leave off where they ended last season. I see this team, um, you know, if they don't win the American, I, I see them as finishing second or third. I mean, they'll be a top three team in the American for sure. You know, we, we know what, what Houston did last year, although I think a lot of people, including Weston Mills, considered Houston a fraud. <laughs> they were a fraudulent team. Um, fraudulent Final Four yeah, team. Yeah, I course. guess. Um, but, you know, obviously the Shockers were able to win the regular season crown in the American over Houston. But we know what Kelvin Sampson can do down there with that Cougar program. And, uh, you know, they, they are, they did lose some key pieces. Quentin Grimes is no longer with Houston. Houston, um, you know, after after graduating, um, you know, so but you you know that they're going to reload for sure. Um, You know, so I I, I see the Shockers finishing in the top three. I wouldn't be shocked if they win the conference yet again. Uh, I'd like to see Wichita State again, get a better draw in the NCAA tournament. Jerry Palm from CBS Sports. I I know it's hard to put any stock in this whatsoever, but he's the bracketology (laughs) guy for CBS Sports. He put out his you know, beginning of the year, way too, bracket, early. way too early bracketology. And he has Wichita state in the first four, just like they were in a year ago. Um, wow. So, you know, we'll see exactly, obviously as the season goes on, that's good. That can vary wildly. You never know exactly what's going to happen uh, in the world of college basketball. But I, I, I expect the shockers to be back in the big dance. I'd like to see them actually get, um, a, a legitimate bid that's outside of the first four. Um, and so, you know, you would think that if you're a regular season conference champion with a record like Wichita State had, you could avoid the first four, but obviously that didn't happen last season. So, uh, but but again, you know, long story short, I see them top three at worst, at best winning the American. I see them making the tournament again. I agree with all of that. I'm going to be, I'm going to give you a little bit more specificity. Okay. I think that Wichita State will end the year in the top 25. Okay. I think that they will win the NCAA tournament, and I think that they will whoa, either. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think they will win the NCAA tournament? 
No, I said they will be in the oh, NCAA tournament. I thought you said I think they will win the NCAA tournament. Oh, well, if tournament. I did that, then that's a hot take point <clears throat> yeah, for me. We can wow. check the video okay. after. No, no, Deal. no. I'm not picking them to win the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Picking them to be in the NCAA tournament, okay. 100%. I, what I said was they will either win the AAC or the AAC tournament. They will not do both, okay. but they will win one or the other. They will either be the regular season champions or they will be the tournament champions. That's my prediction for Wichita State. Maybe that's where you heard the win from. Maybe. Season opens on Tuesday the 9th. They've got Jacksonville State 7 p.m. on the plus. One question. Shocker fans. I, I do. Oh, be, go before ahead. we move on from Wichita State, this is something that I, I've been thinking about quite a bit. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Do you think now with Isaac Brown having the opportunity to coach a full season without an interim tag and any question marks about his long-term future in Wichita State. I, I know it obviously will pay dividends with recruiting, but do you think it, it changes to. anything as far as how he operates during the season, how his players respond to him when, when they know, and everybody knows that he's the permanent head man, you know, you got to remember that that designation didn't happen until midway through the season last year. So you're saying they won't be playing for him. Sure. I mean, what, playing for his job. Do you think, do you think that changes things one way or another for this program? Not a few, I, I guess with based on my picks, I guess I don't. I guess I believe that they're going to play for him just as hard as they did last year. I think if he's a good coach, it won't matter. If he's a good coach, the players won't feel like they have to play for his job this sure. year, but they will still play hard because he is a good coach, because he's a good motivator. I believe that he is. So I, I guess based on my predictions for the team, no, it makes no difference. It makes no difference. They come out ready to play because that's what Shocker basketball is, and that's because that's what Isaac Brown demands. Season opens on Tuesday the 9th. Jacksonville State, 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus for the Shocks. And Shocker fans, you better get it to watch the games because they are on the plus a lot this year. They got a couple on CBS, a couple on ESPN, a few on the U, but uh, mostly going to be ESPN Plus if you want to watch Shocker basketball this season. On to the West. We'll kind of make a triangle around the Sunflower State. For the fans in purple, Kansas State Wildcats 9 and 24 and 14 of the Big 12 last year was the worst year of the Bruce Weber era last season and the worst season overall in Manhattan since the 1999-2000 campaign. Kansas State did find some magic at the end of the year. They won four of their last six down the stretch and they lost to eventual national champion Baylor by just six points in the Big 12 tournament. Wildcats will have to replace DeWan Gordon who averaged nine points per game a season ago. Also gone are Antonio Gordon and Rudy Williams, but the Cats do have quite a bit of experience returning, including Nigel Pack at his 13 points per game from a year ago, and of course, super senior, undisputed team leader Mike McGurl, who scored 12 points per game last season. Davion Bradford will be back at center for Kansas State. And Bruce Weber was extremely active in the transfer portal. He picked up Ismail Massad from Wake Forest, Marquise Noel from Arkansas Little Rock, Mark Smith from Missouri. Kansas State offensively was very bad, very bad last year. 331st in the country in offense. They didn't even manage 62 points per game. Their three-point percentage was dreadful, 29.6%. They were 319th in the country, last in the Big 12. They were also ranked in the bottom half of the league in rebounding assists, field goal percentage, field goal percentage D, turnovers per game, and, Tommy, something that we've talked about quite a bit, the seat has to be feeling at least very warm in Manhattan. If it is not just, you know, starting to scald a little bit, maybe sensing a little bit of a burning smell in Manhattan, it has to be a hot seat for Bruce Weber. 
let's go over what your expectations are for the Kansas State Wildcats and where you see them moving on up or down from nine wins a season ago. You know, I I think they'll move up. I mean, there's really nowhere for them to go but up. I mean, I guess they could always stay the same. I, I just it's it's really, really difficult, really difficult for a team, a division one college basketball team at a power five conference to lose to win less than nine games in a season because you're you're padded with really bad non-conference opponents. Although the show, uh, the the Wildcats did lose to Fort Hay State last year, so I guess <laughs> they did. I guess anything. They'll have more games this yeah, year. I guess so anything is possible. You know, but they they won't lose twice to a Division yeah, two team, yeah. right? So it's it's really difficult for a, a team of the stature of Kansas State to win fewer than nine games. So I you know I think you can at least I can fairly confidently say that they'll win more than nine. Um, But I don't think it's going to be by a whole lot. You know, one thing that Bruce Weber had to do this offseason was get some some quality impact transfers to come in. And it remains to be seen how impact these guys that he got in, the transfer from Missouri, the transfer from Arkansas Little Rock, will time will tell what sort of impact they can make immediately for this wildcat program. But, you know, I I'm, I'm trying to find some positives here. I think that, you know, if you've got Nigel pack and Mike McGurl who can take a step forward this season after last season, that's going to help one more year of experience under their belts. They're not going to compete in the big 12. They are going to continue to be a bottom tier big 12 team. Um, you know, I think that they'll end up probably finishing in the bottom third of the big 12. Um, you know, they're obviously not going to make the the tournament. It's not going to happen. I just don't see a ton of improvement. I might see incremental improvement, but the thing, the, the, the negative, and we can talk for a while if you'd like to about our opinions on Bruce Weber's job security, but, but my, my thought process is this, if they see incremental improvement, incremental growth, it's not going to be enough to satisfy Wildcat Faithful, but it might be enough to satisfy Gene Taylor, and we might continue to see Bruce Weber. I mean, I feel like Bruce Weber has just kind of skated by by the skin of his teeth over the past couple of seasons. I think all it takes for the administration at Kansas State to, to keep him is just a little tiny bit of growth. I think that might be all it will take. When you look at Kansas State, it would be interesting to see historically what the Wildcats have done. And I don't have that up in front of me, but I do have Bruce Weber's history up in front of me. And when you look at what Bruce Weber has done, when he was at Southern Illinois, he did not have a losing season. When he was at Illinois, he had one losing season. However, they were certainly trending in the wrong direction after a pretty decent year in 2010-2011. It was his third straight 20-win campaign. He had 20 wins in seven of his first eight years at Illinois with one down year twenty-seven uh, in the 2007-2008 year. Uh, made the NCAA or NAI, uh, the NIT tournament in all those seasons except for two. But that 11-12 team, that team had absolutely quit on Bruce Weber. I watched them play against Nebraska in the Big Ten, and they were not all about the stomping, the constant yelling, the, you know, this on the sideline. The, the message had definitely worn thin. If you look at Kansas State and what they have done, you know, all time, the question I think that Gene Taylor is going to ask, can we do better? Who are we going to bring in 
that's going to be demonstrably better than a guy who has won 57% of his games while he's here. And when Kansas State has had really good years, they've been pretty damn good. 27 and 8 his first year made the tournament. Obviously, his record in the NCAA tournament is atrocious. It's very, very bad. The one year that he got to the Elite Eight, that was kind of, you know, just it was a yellow brick road yeah. to use a you know a tired cliche where they got all of the breaks other than that they have lost in the first round of the tournament every year but they have had really good team the 2013 team won 27 games now were those all his players probably not but they were pretty darn good in 2017 2018 they were pretty darn good 2018 2019 they tied he's tied for two big 12 championships tied twice Again, in the league that Kansas wins literally every single year. And what some people have said over the last three to four years has been the best basketball conference in the country with the, you know, the decline of UCLA and the Pac-12 and the decline of North Carolina and Duke in the ACC, especially last year. So he has done good work. The question is consistency. And so he had back-to-back 20-plus winning seasons. Then he had a losing season and a season around 500. They finished middle of the Big 12 both those years. Came back with three straight 20-win seasons. Then he's put together back-to-back losing seasons. First time in his career he's ever had back-to-back losing seasons. His winning percentage in Manhattan is about 100 points lower than it was when he was at Southern Illinois or when he was in Champaign coaching the Illini. And he's only won seven conference games combined. He's gone 7-29, and by far the worst record he's had in conference play over a two-year span. So the question is, you know what you're going to get in Bruce Weber at this point, I think. You're not going to get a lot of consistency. But when they're good, they're going to be pretty good. They're going to compete. They're going to be able to beat Kansas. They're going to be able to hang with Kansas. I think the question Gene Taylor is going to have to see if Bruce Weber answers for him this year is, is there a guy that you think you can get to come to Manhattan who's going to do demonstrably better? Obviously, what Bruce Weber does this year is going to be the biggest consideration. If they come back with a 21 season, obviously he's going to be there. Bruce Weber haters be damned. And, you know, we can discuss whether or not that's fair. You know, I've, I've always thought since I was on Sports Talk here in Wichita that Kansas State fans, and I've heard from many of them on my show when I had one back in the day when I was actually somebody important, that <laughs> they that they did not like the hire. They did not like the hire from day one. I was not a fan of the hire from day one because I had been watching him coach in Illinois. Now, it worked out. It worked out for sure. But I guess he's going to have to look at Mr. Taylor, the ADA Kansas State. How many question marks do you have? How many solid answers do you have? And how confident are you about the future of Kansas State over the next three to five seasons if you stay with Bruce Weber? You know it's probably going to be up and down. The toughest part is going to be looking forward, extrapolating, if we bring who we want in, can we get who we want, and how good will they do? Well, first off, let me preface this by saying you were never important uh, to uh, <laughs> go back to what you said a couple of minutes ago. No, I'm just kidding. You're wow. you're important in the hearts of. of I mean, uh, you're probably sadly probably. Um, no, I, I think that I get what you're saying. The the thing that I come I come back to is that I understand that question about can Gene Taylor go out and get someone else that's better than Bruce Weber, and but my my counter to that is. Regardless if he can or not, Bruce Weber may make that decision for him uh, based on... By what? 
based on the success by doing what based on the success or failure of this season. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that you can have in a conference like the Big 12, and obviously the Big 12 is going to be changing in however many years, but right yes, now in the Big 12 present, you're not going to be able to keep your job if you maintain yourself in the cellar but in multiple years. It just doesn't happen. I use an example, and I know this is more like football related than it is basketball, but TCU and Gary Patterson just decided to part ways. Gary Patterson was the longest tenured football coach in America by far. The longest tenured football coach in uh, the Big 12 by far. Their best coach ever ever by far. This is a what have you done for me lately organization. And TCU had been around 500. They, it wasn't even like they were in the cellar of the Big 12. They were uh, they were mediocre for a few years. They were, they were okay. They were okay. And they had some, they're not that far removed from it being they're really not, good. Just maybe like three or four years, you know, removed yeah. from that. And TCU decided to make a switch. Now, obviously there were probably other things that played along into this with Gary Patterson, but I relate that back to Kansas state and Bruce Weber. Again, it wasn't that long ago that the Wildcats had a tremendous amount of success, but sustained mediocrity at best and awfulness at worst will not keep you your job in a conference like the big 12. It doesn't matter what you did three, three, four, eight years ago. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, look at, I mean, this is a long time ago and we're talking more about, you know, the, the, the big eight. Uh, but you know, look at, uh, Ted Owens with Kansas there, his teams were in Kansas is a different, you know, lit, lit, litmus test. Yeah, altogether. It's kind of apples, oranges, but, comparison but Ted there. Owens had a good team, not a great team. And they ran him out of Lords, you know, like <laughs> yeah. those things happen. And so, you know, and, and then you add on to it, just the, polarizing nature of who Bruce Weber is, that certainly doesn't help his cause because you're going to have supporters and you're going to have detractors. And the thing about Bruce Weber is that his personality sort of sets him up for this. He's not a bad guy. I don't think Bruce Weber is a bad guy at all. I like, he's I so think he's a nice, nice guy. Uh, I think he's a good guy. Uh, of, of all the guys that I got to interview when I was quote unquote important he was he was the most personable sure. he was the nicest sure. he, he they reached out and he said hey he would like to come on your sure, show yeah the, greg marshall didn't do that bill self are you freaking kidding me i'm a graduate of the school i begged them to get him on my show and i was basically told why don't you go swim in the arkansas <laughs> river basically is what they told me and that's my school i that's the school that i actually went to i actually cared we paid thousands of dollars for this fancy piece of paper that's hanging on hanging on this wall and i could not get bill self bruce weber wanted to come sure. on my show so it's he is he is extremely likable i know why people his sideline antics are wear thin i get tired of seeing him doing all this rage it's a rage. you know he's yelling all the time and i i understand that but in terms of being a guy to have a you know to go and sit at a bar with he he's probably the nicest guy in the state to do that with probably. So here here's the thing. In in a world of college basketball where image is everything, whether you are a player or a coach and yeah. you're a Bruce Weber, again, I like I I think he's a genuinely nice guy, but in a I agree. You have a Bruce Weber in a world full of Bill Self's, Jay Wright's, uh John Calipari's just it, it, he's kind of the ugly duckling 
in the world of college basketball coaches. And so I don't think that that matters nearly I mean, as much. He's got a 600 winning percentage at two, two schools. He, let me finish. I, I don't think that that matters when you're winning. Doesn't matter when you're okay. when you're tying for the Big Twelve. I think that Kansas State fans can swallow that opinion of him. Yeah, he's got an annoying voice. He's obnoxious on the sidelines. He's kind of dorky. He says you know weird things from time to time. <laughs> he does sometimes. You know, time. you can put that aside when you're tying for Big Twelve championships, right? Yeah. When you're going to an Elite Eight, you can put that aside. When you win yes. when you win nine games in a season, those things come to the forefront. Also, sure. the one point that you and I have not discussed that I think does loom large and play into it with Bruce Weber is that it's been well documented some of the conflicts that he's had with his players at Kansas State over the years. Sure. And not just your run-of-the-mill players. We're talking about leaders of the team, guys that did not get along with Bruce Weber. And I'm not saying it's Bruce Weber's fault, but for whatever reason, personality conflicts, you know, whatever it was between Bruce Weber and some of these players, I think of Marcus Foster as an example, who went on to be a star at Creighton and watched him light up opposing teams when he played for the Blue Jays. That's not just, that's not a, a single, I mean, that's happened multiple times. Again, it's Bruce Weber running the program. He wants to be in charge of all of it. I totally understand all of that. However, there's got to be something that's said for is there an issue with Bruce Weber keeping players in his culture at Kansas State? I don't know the answer to that, but there could be a question there. Here's my rebuttal. Would you say the same thing about Bill Self? Because there have been a ton of conflicts between Bill Self and his players. I think back to the huge stars. Now, these guys didn't necessarily go on to have great careers. Micah Downs was a big-time star when he got to Lawrence. C.J. Giles, J.R. Giddens, most recently, Quentin Grimes. Didn't make it in Lawrence. Went to Houston. Had a fantastic and excellent career for Kelvin Kelvin Sampson. I don't hear that kind of criticism about Bill Self. Now I understand when you're winning, you know, 20 games literally every year, and you're winning, you know, 15 straight conference championships. Bill Self probably gets a longer leash that Bruce Weber wouldn't get, and deservedly so. The difference is that Kansas has. You know, they, they 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 can reload pretty quickly, right? In Kansas State, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Have. And so if a guy like a Marcus Foster, or I know I'm he's the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but I know there have been, who was the guy most recently? There was another guy that transferred out just over the last couple of years that was a big-time yeah, star I remember for who Kansas you're State. I, I blank on his name. And he, he and Bruce Weber got into it multiple different times. He left the program. Who who's there left to, to step in and produce at the level of these guys? So I'm not saying that Bruce Weber has to placate, you know, the, all of his players and he's got to defer to them all the time. But at the same time, Bill Self has the luxury because he's at Kansas to have other high caliber players to fill that role. And he I'm sure he tells guys he told guys like J.R. Giddens and Micah Downs and Quentin Grimes, look, if you don't want to play here, I'll find somebody else who will. And they're going to do just as well as you did, if not better in my system. And he's been able to do that. They did lose four players in like the last round of the transfer portal because they Dewan Gordon, as I mentioned, he was a transfer yep. out. Rudy Williams was a transfer out. Antonio Gordon and Joe Petrakis. Yep. They lost four in one year that all transferred out. Uh, expectations, Tommy, for Kansas State this year. 
what are they for you? Well, I mean, I think I already said that. I think that, you know, that there can be incremental growth. I, I mean, I, I think that the team will probably win more than nine games. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put it more at like 12 or 13. I mean, not a lot. Incremental growth, which, you know, Bruce Weber must be a cat. He must have nine lives because I think that incremental <laughs> growth, in my opinion, if my predictions come true, I think he wins a handful more games this season than last season. And I think that that's enough with the expectations that Gene Taylor has to allow Bruce Weber to keep his job. I, I, you know, I was, I was 100% on board last season and the season before that Bruce Weber, it was probably time for him to move on, but I've been proved wrong so many times when I think he's going to get let go and he hasn't. I think he's, I think he stays forever now at this point. I'm never going to predict that Bruce Weber is going to lose his job because of always, I'm, I'm always proved wrong. Well, I will. I'll say this: um, I, if Kansas State wins nine ga- less than ten games this year, I think he will be fired, or he'll resign, one or the other. But uh, again, we're on the same page. I think that Kansas State gets moving in the right direction. I, th- I figure them to go about five hundred this year, probably about five hundred in conference play, and I think Weber will be doing just enough to keep his job. Yeah. Further infuriating K State fans who have wanted him gone for years. Kansas State is playing Pittsburgh State tonight in exhibition action. So it'll be yesterday for those of you watching as we post this on Friday. Remember last year, the Cats were stunned by MIAA member Fort Hayes State, as Tommy mentioned. Season opens for them November 10th at Bramlage Coliseum against Florida A&M. That brings us eastward to wrap up our tour of the state with the Kansas Jayhawks. 21-9, 12-6 in the Big 12 last year. They are picked to win the conference this season. It was the second time in three years that KU did not win the conference title after a record-breaking streak atop the league. Several other Blue blood Bloods, however, experienced extremely down years in the pandemic season. KU certainly did not even approach that. Uh, they did not approach their power from 2020, but KU was more than just competitive in the Big 12 last year. That was absolutely stacked. Kept their NCAA tournament streak alive. However, they did uh, fail out in the second round. Several others are gone, but in my mind, only significant loss from last year's team is, of course, Marcus Garrett. 11 points per game, one of their top assisters, and undisputedly their best defender on the court. But KU has loads back. Ochai Abaji at 14 points per game. David McCormick, 13 points per game. Jalen Wilson, 12 points per game. And also their leading rebounder, Christian Brown, at 10 points per game. And speaking of being active in the transfer portal, Bill Self did not rest on his laurels. He brought in Jalen Coleman Lance from Iowa State, Remy Martin from Arizona State, who averaged 19 points per game and four assists per game, brought in an All-American from the Division II level, Cam Martin from Missouri Southern, and Joseph Yasufu from Drake. He's going to have to learn for the first time, maybe in his career, how to manage this huge of a roster. Because Bill Self is typically a guy, like, he will play five guys to death And if you force him to play a sixth, he will play him. He wants to have that rotation set at seven by the time he comes back from Christmas break. And maybe he'll go to eight if there's a guy in foul trouble. But he does not play more than eight guys. That that has never happened. But this roster, I think, is loaded with guys who can play and would play for a lot of other teams. Maybe not at Kansas this year. But, Tommy, obviously expectations are extremely high for the Crimson and Blue. Yeah, and I think that, you know, even without the transfers that came in, I know Remy Martin is wildly heralded. Oh, and he's he's going to be. He's a great basketball player. Yes. Um, but even with, let's say Remy Martin didn't transfer to Kansas. Uh, 
I, I think that expectations would still be really high uh, for this program. Um, just with the returners, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I think we maybe even talked about it uh, about the time the NBA draft was approaching or the deadline to, to pull out of the draft. And I'm shocked that everybody returned to Kansas. I thought that someone, I thought that Ochai Abaji would not return to Kansas. I just really. NIL, baby. I mean, I, I just, I just don't think that, you know, really anybody predicted that at the time. Obviously, NIL, yeah, that's a huge deal oh. with it. Absolutely. But the, if that hadn't happened, I think we're looking at a very, very different Kansas team for sure. Yeah, you know, with, without a doubt. I, I you know, so, so I, what you're saying is assist to Matt Beatty for the roster. That's what you're saying. The <laughs> Matt Beatty didn't have anything to do with getting NIL passed sure. at all, but yeah, uh, yeah, uh, sure, yeah, w- without a doubt. Um, no, as, as far as the the roster is concerned, though, I mean it's absolutely stacked, and you know we, we've said this before. You know, we I, I remember specific years as a fan of Kansas where I thought this roster is absolutely stacked, and then you get a month or two into the season, and then you realize. Okay, well, eh, you know they're good, but then there, there's there's problems, there's issues, you know, with depth or whatever. Um, but you know, David McCormick is another year experienced. Jalen Wilson, well, I'm sure we'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm surprised he came back to Kansas. Uh, Ochai Abaji is back, and then obviously Remy Martin, and then all of the other pieces to this team. You know, guys like Christian Brown and Joseph Yasufu, and uh, I mean, just you know, Jalen Coleman Landis from I. Iowa State and just all these other guys that come in that can play roles on this team. Uh, it's hard to not have really high expectations for what the, the Jayhawks can do. Well, I mean, yeah, you you talk about some of these years. I mean, since I've been alive, when I'm sure people had high expectations, wasn't me because I was you know barely cognizant at that point. But I'm sure 85, 86 sure. Well, on that team with Larry Brown when they won 35 games. I'm sure that would have been one for me personally. I remember, uh, you know, like that 91, 92 team, uh, obviously the the first team, the last team that I think about this is 96, 97, mm-hmm. which I still submit is the greatest KU basketball team that's ever been assembled. And I would take them against the Wilt teams. I'd take them against any of the Bill Self teams. I would take that team. What was um, the that year? Team, was that the year? Well, it might have been a couple of years later, the year that. It was after the year, or after when Drew Gooden declared for the draft, he could have came back his senior year, and they would have been sure. absolutely stacked had he returned for his oh, senior yeah. year. That was, was that ninety eight or ninety nine. No, that would have been 0203. Okay. That was yeah. yeah, Nick Nick Collison. That's right. Uh, when they lost uh, to freaking Jerry McNamara yeah. and Syracuse, God, Carmelo puke. Yeah, and Carmelo. I mean, we held Carmelo to like 20 points. We held him to his average, yeah. at least. But, uh, I mean, obviously when they won the championship under Bill Self, and certainly the 2019-2020 season, I know that we would all give anything to go back yeah. and see what would have, what could have happened for that team that in the That was postseason. by far the best team in America. I agree. I, they were the favorite. Yeah, I, I would have loved to to see that team get a crack at it yep. for sure. Probably in my estimation, in the modern era of KU basketball, has to be a top three team that KU's ever had. Um, but yeah, there 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 there's going to be so much about managing this huge roster. It's going to be a much different coaching job for Bill Self because he's got so much experience coming back. 
and the new guys that he has brought in, notice that we didn't, you know, like I mentioned a lot of names. We didn't really talk about any freshmen. Normally, right. there's always like a bomb freshman, an Andrew Wiggins, a Ben McLemore, you know, somebody, Andrew Wiggins, who's going to come in and, okay, this freshman's going to be the guy, the man on this year's team. I don't see that guy. Maybe there is one. I'm sure that I am not, you know, up to date on where everything is in KU basketball like it will be in a month or so. But we talked about all those guys. Like, you're going to play a freshman over anybody we've named? No. Really? I mean, there are all those guys we named are going to be, I think, really good. Better than just serviceable. So I think managing that roster is going to be a challenge for Bill Self. Jalen Wilson, we do have to point out, is going to be suspended the first three games of the season. Driving under the influence charge. Obviously, I am glad that it was a charge that didn't come from a from a place of evil, but from a place of stupidity. So, you know, I'm glad that it, you know, he didn't injure anybody. He was not being inappropriate at a bar, out in the public with a female. Um, obviously, it was you know horrifically stupid decision that he made, and hopefully, he'll learn his lesson, and never do that again. But yeah, Jalen Wilson will be out for the first three games of the season. So, Tommy, with all of these expectations for Kansas. What are your expectations? What do you expect out of Kansas this year? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's it, I think it's important that you know your expectations are not overly. I don't want to say optimistic because that's that's bad. But I'm not ready to crown these Jayhawks yet. But but they're going to be very 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 good. They should be. they should be very 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 good. And here's the reason why I love Marcus Garrett. And I loved what Marcus Garrett did for the Jayhawks over his time in Lawrence. Um, he was a different kind of player than we had seen kind of become a star for the Jayhawks because he wasn't a, a dominant offensive player. But everybody fell in love with him with what he did defensively and his leadership capabilities and, and all of that. That being said, I don't think that there's any coincidence that the Jayhawks struggled the last couple of years when Marcus Garrett was the uh, the the anointed leader of this team because he wasn't really a floor general. He wasn't really the guy uh, to you know take the ball to the rack to be able to pull up and shoot like we've seen in the past with Frank Martin or I'm sorry Frank Mason uh, um, who else? Devon Dotson Devon, Devonte Graham Devonte Graham yeah. But but the, I mean let, let's let's be let's give him a little bit of credit here. Two years ago, I mean, he was on that 2019-2020 team. Sure. That was a hell of a team. But he he wasn't the he wasn't the number one. He wasn't the primary ball but, handler. But he got Bill Self. Let's let's be honest. Last year was Bill Self's fault. He got caught in recruiting and didn't have the next guy in. And so Marcus Garrett, I feel, was shoehorned sure. into a job that he sure. never asked for sure. and that he never should have had. He, he was should not, have been a distributor. Yeah, right. He was not the most well-suited for that position. No. My point in that, and it's not to knock Marcus Garrett, but my sure. point in that is to point out that Remy Martin is now in Lawrence. And he is a playmaker. He's a scorer. He's also a distributor. Yes. He's also a floor general. Um, he can run the system that Bill Self wants, but I don't know if you watched the exhibition game against Emporia State the other night, um, but he did some things off script too that I know infuriated Bill Self, but he can make the shots to back it up. So it's kind of one of those things where I think Bill Self has to think, okay, yeah, it's going to frustrate me that Remy Martin may not always play within my system, but he's also going to be able to score for me pretty much at sure. will. And that's one thing that the Jayhawks have missed. At times in the tournament, you need that. Right. That's one thing that the Jayhawks have missed 
over the past couple of years without guys like Mason Graham and Dotson. They they did not. That was not Marcus Garrett. Last year role. they missed. Last it. year yes. they did not have that. They've got it back no, this they year. Did not. So I, I'd like. They didn't really have it in 2018, 2019 right, either. Right. They they missed it more. Yep. 2019, 20 obviously they had it. 2017, 2018 yeah. they had it. But yeah, the two of the last three years would maybe expectations didn't sure. quite get met. That was a void for sure. Defi- definitely. So, you know, I see the the Jayhawks challenging for the Big 12. You know, it's going to be them in Texas. Uh, you know, Baylor's going to be really good again, but I think it's going to be Kansas and Texas and what Chris Beard has done uh, coming into his first season, you know, in Austin. Um, you know, I, I see the Jayhawks as a one or two seed. I see them, you know, of course, making a deep run. Of course, March is crazy. You never exactly know what's going to happen. But, uh, no. you know, I, I'd like to see this team be really successful. Well, I'd like to see them be really successful every year. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit more specificity for that. KU should win the Big 12. Okay, I think they will win the Big 12. They may not win the tournament, but I think regular season, Big 12 champions. Tommy, I mean, I'm not going to jinx the team because I don't believe in that sort of thing. This is a Final Four or bust kind of a year. Wow, okay. This is a team that, you know, needs to make it to the Final Four. Not that it won't be a good year. Not that it won't be a great year. Not that it won't be a really great year. But as Bill Self often says, it's not a special year unless you make it to the Final Four. And this is, a, I believe, a special team. A team that has national championship aspirations. The Big 12 is going to be loaded. They could win the national championship ostensibly and be the third best team in the Big 12. Because I think Baylor and Texas are going to be both really good. I think this is going to be the best conference for men's basketball, at least for the next two to three years while you know Texas and Oklahoma stick around. Um, so that that's my expectation. Final four or bust for Kansas. Hey, it's the final opportunity for, you know, Mitch Lightfoot in his 14th season at Kansas to <laughs> finally get a crown. So we'll get see that if that ring. happens. Yeah, exactly. I, I will I will say, Weston, I love you. I'm not going to miss defending um, David McCormick against Mitch Lightfoot for every single show this year. <laughs> that I will not miss at all. I'm so looking forward to not having to do that. Uh, KU heads to the Champions Classic to play Michigan State on November 9th at 6 p.m. on ESPN. And that's it. That's our college basketball preview uh, for the year. Uh, I'm excited about all these teams, excited about the Newman Jets as well. Um, I, I think for all these teams, there are really big storylines Uh, I think especially for Wichita State and KU, though, I think they've got really good seasons in their future. Um, We're not quite as bullish, though, this this program on Kansas State. Yeah, was that an was that a question? I I didn't know. If no, you... it wasn't a question. Normally, when I normally when one person stops talking, the other starts talking. Well, that's I, normally that's a Western movie. Just I did didn't there. have oh, anything new to add. I thought you were asking me a question. Maybe. Oh no, I I, I didn't. Well, I will ask you okay. a question because we'll go back to football right. and Kansas City, the Chiefs. Uh, well, two more turnovers for Kansas City, but I mean, I guess they beat the Giants. I, I will give the Giants a little bit of credit here. They looked better than a two and five team. They looked. I guess pretty good for a two and five team. I guess that's the best praise that I can muster up. Twenty to seventeen, the Chiefs are four and four. Uh, one good trend for Kansas City: they are running the ball better. A balanced attack this week. Daryl Williams and Derek Gore. Five of the last seven weeks, Kansas City has rushed for over a hundred yards. So we we need to stop the narrative. Oh, the running game's not helping Patrick Mahomes. That that needs to go away. Okay, they're running the ball more than serviceably. For Kansas City. Defensively, they have been much, much better. Their positive expected points added for the defense. 
positive for the second time in three weeks, just the second time this season. And the last three weeks have been the best defensive performances back-to-back-to-back for Kansas City Chiefs. They hold the Giants just 300 yards. Kansas City is forced to turnover in three straight weeks. There's a lot to be encouraged about. Willie Gay Jr., interception, nine tackles. Nick Bolton continues to play well. Five quarterback hits for the Chiefs, three sacks. Frank Clark and Chris Jones each got sacks for Kansas City. Another turnover for Patrick Mahomes. Not not a pretty win for Kansas City. I know that there were probably a lot of Chiefs fans that thought, oh, okay, well, we're going to come out. We'll hang 40 on the Giants. We'll beat them, you know, 48 to 21. We'll be feeling good. And and we'll roll into the Packers game with a lot of confidence. I think you should be confident about the defense. I think you can feel good about how they're playing. I think you can feel good about how the running game has been able to be better than serviceable. But there's still a lot of questions in the passing game and still too many turnovers. I don't know if I would go so far to say it's okay to be confident in the defense because there are still quite a bit of holes defensively for Kansas City, especially in the secondary. Um, you know, as much as I love the contributions that Dan Sorensen has made for this Chiefs team over his tenure in Kansas City, the guy shouldn't see the field again for Kansas City. He didn't play bad against the Giants. You know, he didn't play that. I he, had a couple, he had a couple of blown coverages. And you also see that, you know, quarterbacks are singling him out. They know that he's kind of the weak link in the secondary. Sure. So they're going to try to go after him as much as possible. Um, you know, so... There are still some holes defensively. I was happy with Chris Jones. I mean, he, I feel like he's shifting a little bit more to what his natural position is. I think part sure. of his the lack of production has been him playing more on the edge, which is not where he's going to be able to get a lot of his pressure and his sacks. He kind of did that out of necessity, and now he's back to kind of his more primary role. It also helps that moving forward, the Chiefs acquired Melvin Ingram from Pittsburgh, so that ought to help you know at least get Chris Jones back to where he's more comfortable playing it was you know pleasantly surprising to see Frank Clark play the way that he did and and that was good hopefully he can sustain that and continue that moving forward but it's 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 uh, incredibly frustrating that we're still talking about the offensive woes for Kansas City Um, and it's even more frustrating to me that and again I love Andy Reid and I love Patrick Mahomes but it's, yes. but it's and we love Eric Bieniemy. But it's incredibly frustrating to me that week in and week out, and this has been going on for several weeks now, week in and week out, it's been a woeful offensive output with questionable decisions, turnovers, sloppy play, and all we hear is the same answer, you know, from both Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and things like, "Well, we got to get it cleaned up. We're going to do what we can to try to get it cleaned up. We're going to get it cleaned up." Got to talk about it. Got to clean things up. Well, yeah, you do. So go out and do it. And I know it's easier. <laughs> I know it's easier said than done. And it's not just on Patrick Mahomes. You know, Travis Kelsey had a fumble uh, against yeah, the Giants. Yeah, not a good you know, day for Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill has fumbled the football. He's had balls bounce off of his hands into the hands of the opposing team several different times this season. So it's not just the decision making on Patrick Mahomes, but it's it's just an overall disconnect. And I'm not sure where it's coming from. But me neither. But at the end of the day, it's something that, you know, if, if this is going to be a playoff team, you have to get that short up now. You're eight games into the season. You have nine games to go and you're at four, you're at 500 at four and four. You have to, you have to win probably six. You have to win six games, six out of your last nine. If you want a playoff shot. I mean, they're last in the AFC right. West. 
So they're, they're last. So I don't. I and mean, the schedule's not getting really. We thought this was going to be a pretty soft part of the schedule coming in. Um, this has turned out that this is not a soft part yeah. of the schedule. This is actually a really hard part of the schedule. The Raiders are much better than people thought that they would be. The Dallas Cowboys have taken a huge turn this year. Cowboys people, are a good I think, team. The people thought. I think people were expecting that Green Bay was going to be there. Um, you know, this year, and they they have been. So you thought that okay, you're going to be able to get the Giants, the Raiders, the Cowboys. That'll be you know. I don't know if we thought the Titans were going to be as good as they are. So this has turned into a pretty rough part of the schedule for Kansas City, and it's not getting that easy this week with those Green Bay Packers at 7-1, and one, Sunday, 325 on Fox. Obviously, the big storyline, you know, we can do all the normal preview breakdowns we would do. I feel like they're kind of out the window because Aaron Rodgers is not playing. He's yeah. out due to coronavirus. His backup, Kurt Benkert, is also tested positive. He is not available, so we're likely going to see Jordan Love getting the start on Sunday. Uh, the Packers offensively score 24 points per game. The Chiefs at 26. Takeaway differential could be huge if if Kansas City can rattle an offense with an inexperienced quarterback. Green Bay is plus eight. They are second in the league in turnover margin. Kansas City is 30th at minus 11. Defensively, Green Bay is solid. Sixth against the, against the pass. 17th against the rush. Green Bay, an average running team, 108 per game. 17th in the league. Aaron Jones, 104 uh, carries for 463 yards and three touchdowns. What the game plan for the Packers, what that will be, I think will be fascinating. And can the Chiefs take advantage? Can this wounded challenge defense, who, let's be honest, I know that there are holes. I'm not arguing that there aren't holes, but they have been playing their best football. They've overachieved. They have absolutely overachieved. For the last month of the season, the Chiefs have played their best defensive football, without question. Can they make Green Bay, can they get them out of system? Can they make their quarterback uncomfortable? comfortable. That's what I want to see. I would like to see more pressure on the quarterback personally, because, you know, let's be honest. We've had this discussion. We've had the discussion about Dan Sorensen. The Chiefs just aren't very good in coverage this year. No. They they haven't been great in coverage. I would like to see them get pressure on the quarterback, maybe at least get some negative plays, get some sacks and put them behind the chains and down in distance because, you know, the, the just rushing for and dropping everybody back does not appear to be working. Uh, to answer your question, I I don't see the Chiefs winning this game, even without Aaron Rodgers. Mm. I really don't. Uh, there's been nothing in the body of work from the resume from Kansas City that we've seen over the course of the first eight games that tells me that Kansas City can win this game. Um, now, obviously, there is talent on both sides of the ball. That is not disputed by me whatsoever. But what they've done this season on both sides of the football, offensively and defensively, it doesn't give me confidence, even without Aaron Rodgers, that the Chiefs can get the victory. It's a Jordan big Love, minus. Jordan Love is not a slouch of a quarterback. He's not just some schmo that's off the bench. He was a Compared high, to Aaron Rodgers, but he was a high draft pick as the future of the franchise for the Green Bay Packers and has studied under Aaron Rodgers for the last sure. couple of seasons as the heir apparent. This is not a guy that they went and signed off the street last week. I know they picked up Blake Bortles as an emergency quarterback. <laughs> this is not Blake Bortles starting this football game. This is Jordan sure. Love, who will more than likely be carrying the franchise 
beginning next season, assuming Aaron Rodgers does point. not come back to Green Bay. So he's been able to be in that system, in that LaFleur system, with Aaron Rodgers, learning diligently. I take Jordan Love seriously. And even if you don't, and that's completely fine and fair if you don't, but the Packers also have Aaron Jones, who is one of the best running backs in the National Football League. They also have Devontae Adams, who is the, if not the best, one of the best receivers in the National Football League. And they've got a stout defense. So if it was, if Kansas City was playing even above average football, I would say, all right, without Aaron Rodgers, the Chiefs win this game. But the Chiefs are mediocre at best, and I just don't see a way that they can take on the Packers and walk away with a win. I think the Chiefs moved to four and five. I think that they can beat the Packers. I don't, think they I don't will. know if they will beat the Packers, but the, there there is a recipe. Can we see one? What can we see what the Chiefs look like one game? When they don't turn it over. Yeah. Can we just see what that looks like when they go into the red zone, when they score with efficiency and don't turn it over? That's the that's the blueprint. We just haven't seen that what this do you year. Attribute, that's not what do you attribute all the turnovers to? I don't though? know. I mean, do you attribute to a lack of focus? Do you attribute it to teams? No. You know, defense is figuring out what the Chiefs are going to do offensively. Maybe. I mean, what do you attribute it to? I mean, defenses do figure things out. Remember is it Lamar Patrick Jackson Mahomes was, trying too much? Trying to do too maybe. much? You know, I, I I don't know if I'm smart enough to answer that question, Tommy. I'm, I'll, I'll just be bluntly honest with you. I, I don't know because I watch and I still see the guys who are capable of doing yep. all the things that they've been doing in Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and, and but Travis here's Kelsey. What was concerning. But it's not happening this on, year. On Monday Night Football, what was concerning to me was that even the passes that Patrick Mahomes was completing, he wasn't sharp really like in his passes like there were passes he was throwing behind the receivers that they were catching but it wasn't what Patrick Mahomes typically does it's not He's what we know. About his footwork I think yeah I don't know exactly what it comes down to but I'm not smart enough to figure it out you know, I, I, I know there are a lot of guys on sports talk radio who will who will come out and say oh yeah well it's blah 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 and I'll do that if I think I know the answer I, you have to at some point if you're a host you have to understand what you don't know and I don't know what the I problem think, is I think to I, I sum up to sum up my position on the Chiefs versus the Packers if we get the same effort and output from Kansas City that we saw Monday Night Football where they squeaked out a win against the lowly Giants there is not a chance in hell that they beat the Packers even without sure. Aaron Rodgers it I mean, will I not happen the only thing I would question is the effort uh I don't think that the effort has been poor this year at all in, in any game. The execution has been awful in many games. I don't think that they're like quitting on Andy Reid no. though. I don't. I don't see that. But yeah, if they execute the level they did against the Giants, yeah, I agree. We'll not win this game. Um, bye week coming up in a few weeks for Kansas City. Actually, Thanksgiving week, so they'll actually get Thanksgiving home with the family. Um, awfully nice for those guys. I think they probably will enjoy that. More football. We're going to touch on uh, Kansas State here. All they do, apparently, is get coaches fired, I guess. Very impressive win over Texas Christian. First time in a while that I, I saw the Kansas State team that I expected to see and what I thought we would see all season long, and that's where the offense is actually able to take advantage of having a good defense. Kansas State did that the last two weeks for the most part. Most recently, that 31-12 victory over Texas Christian that cost Gary Patterson his job. You look at the, the games that Kansas State has lost. I know they've given up some points. I feel like a lot of those points have been scored on Kansas State's offense. You look at where you know the disparity in field position in some of these games, the defense has put been put in some really tough spots by their offense, 
And I understand, you know, they have not been able to have consistent play at the quarterback spot. Not from Skylar Thompson, partially because he's injured. I understand that, and certainly not from Will Howard or anybody else that they've run out there at that spot. They have not gotten consistent play at the quarterback spot, and they have not taken advantage of what I think is a pretty good defense. And the defense, I think, is giving up a lot more points than they would otherwise if the offense had been playing to their capabilities. It was nice to see them take care of a team that, you know, coming into the year, I think you and I both thought that they would kind of just take care of, and they did that. They were clearly the better team against Texas Christian on Saturday. Yeah, they were. And, you know, I, I think I'm not a big believer in moral victories. Right. But um, that was a, a, not only a, a normal victory, but also just a moral victory for Chris Kleiman. It's been, you know, tough sledding for a few weeks for, yeah. you know, a lot of adversity, you know, for this Kansas State team. They needed a get right victory and they were able to get it, um, you know, against TCU. It'll be interesting to see how that carries on uh, for the rest of the season. We all know the Sunflower Showdown is this weekend. Uh, so, you know, that that's going to be another win for Kansas State. Um, you know, so that's 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 good for Chris Kleiman. But I'm really curious to see how that carries into the last couple of games of the season. Can they end on a high note? Um, can Chris Kleiman end his third season in Manhattan um, really feeling encouraged about the future and what this team can do? Well, it's interesting that you mention uh, that it's an auto win for, for Kansas State. We had talked, and we did not plan because of your busy schedule. Uh, by the way, congratulations on the opening of the season with the Wichita Thunder, Thank by you. the way. Appreciate just that. announced that you're in the front office over there. So you actually are important in uh, the Wichita sports landscape, unlike me. But uh, we said, you know, if KU does, we were you were at the game. I was. You said, oh, we're going to go watch a bloodbath. It's going to be terrible. And, you know, we were texting during the game and said, you know, if this turns out, we're going to have to do a podcast. We're going to have to find a way to do this. And until the last moments of the game, it appeared that that was very much a possibility. Yeah. As the Kansas Jayhawks fought, they shut out the number two team in the country in the first half, ended up falling by 12 to the Oklahoma Sooners. So you're thinking, okay, the Bedlam rival, Oklahoma State, they're, obviously, it's on the road, but they you they got to have a chance against Oklahoma State, right? They just keep the momentum going. And they at, laid an absolute dump in this game. 55-3, to three, they lose to OSU. They backed up an impressive showing by absolutely essing the bed. So my question is this. I know that you are 100% Lance Leopold. To the moon and back, you you trust him with your life. You trust him with your baby's okay. life. I understand that. that. But here's my thing. What the hell does the OU game mean if KU plays this poorly the next week? You're supposed to be building off of the successes you have. And I understand you've already said the season doesn't matter. They're awful. It, it didn't This season, just throw it out the window. We're just trying to get to next year. But if you have a performance like Oklahoma, like Kansas did against Oklahoma, where they looked, if you did not know anything about college football, you just tuned in to watch that game, you would absolutely believe that KU was a top 25 team in the country. They played great in that game. They looked competently coached. They looked well-coached, well-prepared. They looked like they had comparable athletes. They looked good against Oklahoma. How in the world can you have confidence in what is being built when they come out the next week and get boat raced by Oklahoma State and get outscored 38 to nothing in the first half and have 
44 passing yards and 99 rushing yards. That was one of the most, and I know we didn't have any expectations. We knew they weren't going to win the game. But to me, when you go from Oklahoma to the Oklahoma State game, and Jason Bean, by the way, was terrible in this game. Three for 10 for 10 yards. 10 yards in a game for the starting quarterback for Kansas. This was an unacceptably poor game for Kansas. Yeah, okay. So I want to I want to address what you said about having a huge letdown after an impressive showing because you're you're not wrong. It's incredibly disappointing and I left that game against Oklahoma thinking, okay, like that we're we're seeing we're going in the right direction. We're seeing some progress here. Yes. And absolutely totally demoralizing the output against Oklahoma State the very next week. <laughs> yes. However, where I argue with you, where I disagree with you, is when you categorize this as just a Lance Leipold problem. This is not new for the University of Kansas football. The last three coaches before Lance Leipold had this exact same situation happen. In 2014, it was Charlie. Sure. It was Charlie Weiss. They had a great showing against TCU. I was actually at that game. They almost won that game. TCU won uh, in the last minute. The, I remember that game. The very next week, Kansas lost 44 to seven. In 2016, <laughs> with David Beatty, they had another great showing against TCU. The very next game, they lost 45 to seven. And then in 2019, they played. That game, that wild game against Texas that they won. And then the very next week against Texas Tech, they lost 38 to 10. So that this has happened multiple times where the Jayhawks have had a really solid showing. Then the very next week, it's just a huge letdown. And it's like all that progress is completely gone. I chalk it up to the fact that these guys, these players are in a culture where they don't know how to win and they don't know not just how to win, but they don't know how to build upon progress. They don't know how to build upon positive things that have happened. That's a culture change that's going to take some time. Uh, I don't blame it on Lance Leipold. I blame it on the overall culture of Kansas football that's been there for the last decade. And that's going to be difficult to change in just one season for Lance Leipold. I, I, I can't disagree with you on that. Uh, well, we will see if Kansas can make anything happen in the Sunflower Showdown, 11 a.m. on Saturday on Fox Sports 1. And that is all that we have to get to today. There is just two more pieces of business, and the first one is to hit the music as we take our Wichita whip around and look at all the fantastic stories from around the Wichita area that maybe you missed this week. Maybe you haven't been paying attention. So much going on. College basketball starting. We've got high school football starting. We've got professional hockey in the air capital. Tommy, where are you starting with your whip around story today? So I have two stories that are related to one another as far as the, okay. the, the school that they're a part of. One good one bad it's not specifically wichita but it's wichita metro we're going to go to el dorado and talk about butler community college okay, first, i had that as an acr but yeah, first go ahead off the bad and that's butler uh, community college football it was announced earlier this week that uh, the the grizzlies are going to be forfeiting all of their games this season and their head coach tim schaffner has been suspended for three games due to butler playing in an eligible player 
I believe for the last two seasons, he's played for Butler and is in, or I'm sorry, he played two years already and is ineligible to play at a junior college. So they forfeited all of their victories. They will enter the uh, playoffs for their conference, the Jayhawk conference, as the lowest seed because they had to forfeit all their wins. Uh, really an unfortunate situation for Butler. Uh, I know you had that on your list to talk about. Your thoughts on that, Blake? Well, here's the, here's the thing. I go to the Butler County website. There's nothing on this. They have that they their record is still six and two. Yeah. They they have nothing on their website about this. I go to the Jayhawk Conference website. I go to the football page. There's nothing on this. Like I understand this has been reported. I mean, I'm not doubting the veracity of the reporting. It's been reported in the Butler County Gazette. It's been reported in the Wichita Eagle. So I'm, you know, but there is nothing on this. Where who is going to actually make a statement and put this out? Butler does not have anything to say. The Jayhawk Conference, who's levying these sanctions, has nothing to say about this. How how can that happen when you just don't even say anything? To me, that's just insane. Yeah, and you know, it would be nice to get some specific details about what yes. actually happened. You know, it, it sounds like an el- an eligible player, but we don't know really anything about it other than allegedly. Like, why is he ineligible? Yeah, sure. Allegedly, he had already played for two seasons and was ineligible to play at a junior college. That's according to the Butler County Times-Gazette. But again, no official statement whatsoever one way or another, other than apparently Butler is vacating all of their wins. And how does that happen? They will enter the tournament, uh, the the conference tournament at 0-8 as the lowest seed. uh, And their head coach will not coach in the the playoffs. So I don't exactly know what that means. And here's the other thing, too. If I'm in Coffeeville, yeah. if I'm the Ravens at seven and one, I am pissed as hell because you're giving us for our you know regular season Jayhawk championship, you're rewarding us, and we're playing the number fifteen team in the country in the first round. Are you joking me? Right. So they have done an extreme disservice to Coffeeville by doing this. I understand they want to punish Butler. Maybe they can't take them out of the postseason. Maybe that's not something within their power. But I mean, what's to stop them from winning out, running out the table? In you know, they're still the number fifteen team in the country. Right. What's to stop them from running the table in the Jayhawk, winning the championship here in Wichita, and you know, playing for a national title? Because if they had done that from the as the number fifteen in the country, fifteen team in the country. What's to say that they aren't still one of the be- right. two best teams and, in the country? And what you know, I don't know exactly how many rounds the playoffs are for the Jayhawk Conference. If I think it's three, three, I think it's eight, four, and one, or so, eight, four, and two. So, they, I mean, in theory, they could run the table. They could go three and eight, be the number fifteen team in the country, and then and they'd move up. Move they'd up. move up if they won three games. Yeah, at, at a record, an official record of three and eight. <laughs> that would that be. Point. Uh, how can you imagine there were people saying like no matter Rob Manfred was going to be screwed because he took away the all-star game from Atlanta and you know obviously everybody in Houston hates him can you imagine if you're the commissioner of the Jayhawk and you are presenting the trophy in Wichita to Butler County yeah I cannot and they, they've got a huge 
fan base, I cannot imagine right. how awkward and uncomfortable that would be. Yeah. Uh, what's your second story? You said it was related to that, yeah. and this is the positive story. Sure, yeah. So this is also about Butler Community College. We're talking about Butler Volleyball. They transformed themselves <laughs> in really just good. one year. They were in the middle of the Jayhawk Conference a year ago. They're ranked third in the country right now. They're 30-2 and two overall with two more conference matches to go uh, before they get into their conference playoffs and tournament. Uh, I believe they're actually hosting uh, this year. So, you know, obviously congratulations to the ladies there at Butler. Uh, it's got to be good for the folks at Butler who are dealing with the fallout of this football situation. Oh, at least they can cheer on uh, how great the, the women have been on the volleyball court. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I would not want to be playing Butler County. I yeah. think the Grizzly fans, they are going to be absolutely at a frenzy, frothing at the mouth, trying to get them some Ravens sure. coming up in the first round. Yep. Um, I think that's going to be unbelievable, uh, unbelievable game. Um, I will go with high school football as the playoffs continue into the regional round in 6A, 5A, and 4A this week. We've got a lot of local teams still in action. Derby absolutely slaughtered Southeast. They will be playing the East Blue Aces. By the way, upset Bishop Carroll yep. in the last week of the regular season to deliver a shared City League championship between Capen and Carroll. So Wichita East, the Blue Aces, they will be playing Derby. That is a road game for the Blue Aces coming up this week. They beat Garden City in in the first round, so the Aces at 6-3 and three having a hell of a season. I also do want to shout out Lawrence High School, who beat my uh, my high school's arch-rival, Topeka High Trojans 37-7, so thank you very much to Lawrence High School. Hate Topeka High. I hope they lose every <laughs> game for the rest of their existence. I, Tell I us how you really feel, Blake. Uh, North also lost the first round. They lost to Manhattan Indians. I really hate Manhattan Indians, too, by the way. Uh, let's go to Class 5A, where the 8-1 and one Cape and Mount Carmel uh, uh, Crusaders are getting set to play Mays South at 6-3. and three. Mays South advanced over Heights with a 48-21 win, and Capen beat Goddard 35-3. Northwest, I told you guys, don't be thinking that Northwest is just going to go away. They're 7-2, and two, and they're playing Salina Central. The Mustangs have come out of nowhere from the brink of despair to be a relevant football team this year. That game is at Northwest. Andover beat a Salina South team that, quite frankly, I don't recognize what happened to them. 51-21. Uh, They've got Hayes and Andover and a big matchup in May. It's very interesting how the Holy War schools are playing the Melee and Mays schools. Bishop Carroll playing Mays on the road 7-2. and two. I believe Mays ended Bishop Carroll's run in the playoffs last year, so there is some bad blood on the line in that matchup. And in the western half of 4A, we've got 8-1 Bueller taking on Winfield, an upset winner in the first round over Independence. That game is at Bueller. Mulvane has returned to prosperity at 7-2 with a 46-16 win over Ulysses. They will take on McPherson. They advance with a 1-0 walkover over Arkansas City. The Bulldogs forfeited after one of their players died. Very tragic situation. So Mulvane and McPherson, that is at Mulvane on Friday night. Tonight, by the way, as you're watching this. So get out to some of these games. And Augusta is still alive in the playoffs. They'll go to Wamigo and over Central at 8-1. They will be hosting the Thunderbirds of Circle. They beat Rose Hill in the first round. So 6A, 5A, 4A, Tommy. Here in Sedgwick County and the surrounding area, we have got a ton of local teams that are still at it and very 
very active, and some of them, I think, have got state championship berth aspirations. Yeah, you know, obviously the powerhouses, the names that uh, everybody is familiar with, your derbies and your carols and your capins and that sort of thing, Northwest, obviously in the mix. But, you know, obviously there are some other teams that stand out to me just as, you know, teams that are kind of coming out of nowhere. Winfield is one of them. It's nice to hear Circle uh, being back kind sure. of in prominence. It's been a while since we've heard anything uh, yeah. from, from Circle High School. Uh, you know, and, and Andover Central is is in the mix, too. They've had a really good year. So, yeah, really some high-quality area teams continuing on in the playoffs. And it's always fun this time of year, especially as we get further and further and further into the mix to be able to see who can advance. And, you know, then it kind of, at least for me, because I don't, I, I'm a clear one grad but other than that it's really fun to kind of see the wichita area teams and sort of latch onto them when we get into substate and then the state round and i also want to shout out to my former color analyst when i was covering the wichita wild uh troy black mm. that's his wichita collegiate spartans are at yeah. eight and one they beat the greenbacks of pratt 23 to 8 they've got nine and ochini coming up yeah. so that is going to be a massive matchup between the spartans and the cardinals so yeah up and down the line all classes um there's a lot of strength in the western half of the state right here in sedgwick county uh, by the way that bishop carroll game they needed overtime to come back and beat the hutchinson salt hawks a four win season for them but boy it was kind of reminiscent of the old alan shuckman randy dryling battles of your you looked out there you see you saw bishop carroll and hutchson you're like man i'm back to the belldozer <laughs> era almost um let's go to additions corrections and retractions after an extended whip around anything that we haven't gotten to that we need to add correct or retract tommy hey i do have a correction uh from something that i said earlier uh when i was trying to remember who the player was for kansas state with bruce webb that butted heads a couple years ago. Cartier Jara was oh, the player. Oh, God, yeah. I two do years remember. ago, transferred from Kansas State to, was Vir- pretty good. to Virginia Tech, in part due to not getting along with Bruce Weber. Yep. And that was pretty publicized. And there were even times in the middle of games that you would see Cartier Jara and Bruce Weber butt heads. So uh, that's my correction from the show. I have some additions. Congratulations to the Andale Indians. They won the 4A State Volleyball Championship, outlasting Ottawa Baldwin. I thought we were and- done talking about Andale now that Weston is no longer uh, on the program. You, you are correct. Well, that's, I'm not, see, the difference is I'm not shouting out to my sister who's Fair on enough. the team or a coach or, I mean, my sister keeps the stats Fair and, enough. you know, I'm not doing that. So it's not a Weston whip around. Uh, they also outlasted Bishop Miege. I know there's a lot of people out there that think, oh my gosh, Bishop Miege, we can't possibly be at a private school. Andale said, Hold hold our Gatorade. Watch us go and do this uh, after falling runner-up the last few years. Uh, so congratulations to the Tribe. Fantastic year for them. Wichita North Soccer. They beat Dodge City. They ended the defending 6A state champions 38-match winning streak. They stunned the Demons 2-1. to one. Redskins advanced to the 6A state semis for the first time since 1991. North is 17-1-1. They are meeting Olathe West on Friday at 7 p.m. at the College Boulevard Activity Center in Olathe. By the way, how are you a 16-1-1 team and you're on the road for the first two games of the playoffs? How does that happen? Can someone, I, you know, I don't really care about soccer but how does how is that possible that you're 16 one and one and you're on the road for the first two rounds of state that that to me is unbelievable yeah i i don't have any explanation for that whatsoever i i would not 
I don't get it. When you've got a record like that, you should absolutely be able to play at home. Yeah, what 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 is oh, that, that? That's infuriating to me. So uh, that's all that I got. Those are my ACs and R's for this week. Uh, so that is our show, pretty much. Uh, episode eighty three in the books. Thank you so much for liking, sharing, subscribing. Cogsports.com. Once again, it's dropping cogpod.podomatic.com, the video on YouTube and the Facebook page. Coming up next week, we'll have basketball to talk about. We're going to keep it pretty football-centric, at least until Thanksgiving. Uh, Kansas football may continue to drift further and further down (laughs) the ledger because, let's be honest, um, I think we're both – predicting that this this is going to be a what what would you say like a 25 point game at best for KU this weekend uh, is there any oh. chance that they can make this like a two score game no no chance even though they played Oklahoma's way better they played them tough no chance nope no chance okay uh, I mean if Kansas State continues to play the way that they have yeah I think that they win by 28 points no I mean I the, in their sleep the Jayhawks they uh you know they got their flash in the pan against Oklahoma it's not going to happen again I wonder what the line is for that game. Do we know what the line is for that game? Uh, Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But, okay, apparently I am seeing one place that is offering KU plus 23 and a half. I don't think they cover that. No? No. Don't cover? I I don't think KU has a real good record against the spread, to be quite honest. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll see how that works out. Um, So next week, uh, plenty more to get to here on the program. Thanks so much for liking, sharing, subscribing. Been great to have you along here, and we'll continue on. It's the crossover season. We are here. Everything intersecting now. It's a fun time of year, especially in Wichita sports. We'll keep you up to date on the high school football playoffs as well. So... That is it for us. Tommy, before we say goodbye, a shout out to our beloved audio listeners. Where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can always follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B-E Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S. The show is at CogPod. We'll catch you next week on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.